Put another log on the fire. A heart ablaze for God. That's been the theme of our series these weeks together. Thank you for your encouragement and prayer. May I covet your prayers on behalf of the work of the Lord in India. God has given me the opportunity through our global missions outreach to head back to India October 11th through 25th. First of all, to be involved with Cary Baptist Church. Do pray for Pastor Jack Chen and his wife Lorraine. Uh, she is, uh, has had triple bypass surgery and is recovering uh, here in Canada. And then he needs to return back and get everything set with two cohorts of training. Training leaders in uh, pastoral ministry, training leaders in the study of God's word. We're going to be looking at First and Second Thessalonians in our time with them and also a church-wide retreat. So I cover your prayers for that engagement and do pray for our missionaries. We need to pray that and we need to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Arab Spring countries. Pray for Syria in these days of conflict and turmoil for them. May God use even the uncertainty of the world situation to drive many people to their knees. What does it take? We are sitting in ease. We're sitting in relative security within our own country. And at times, ease is a dangerous thing. Praise, prayer, and perplexity. Is your heart ablaze for God? That's the issue. Let's make the most of this opportunity God has given us. I'm sure all of us need help. We all need help. You see a variety of signs that come across our screens and in newspapers and in stores. Help of all kinds. The issue is, where are we going for help? Where are you turning for help? To whom do we turn for help? Now, there's simple, ordinary help, I'm sure, even over this weekend as people have moved. Students are preparing to return back to studies. They've asked for help. Some of us are reluctant to ask for help. Some of us miss God's help because we're reluctant to ask. Here we are, trying to get through life on our own. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest under your souls. But here we are trying to carry the burden alone. Yoke to our burden, yoke to our problems, rather than being yoked to Christ, the great burden bearer. The question is this morning, are you a rebel or a refuge taker? Are you a rebel against God? Are you resisting the help of God, defying him, refusing to ask him for help, or are you reaching out and taking refuge in him? Perhaps we could ask it another way. Are you mobilizing, or are you missing God's help? God's help is available. We've heard it. We've sung it. We've prayed it. He is able. He is able. My Savior loves. My Savior lives. My Savior is always there for me. My God, he was. My God, he is. I trust you can say that. We may not always be able to say that in response back to him. Are we always there for Christ? Let's pray for the next generation. Let's pray for the kids returning back to public school and the teens to high school and college and university students that they'll go back with this song ringing in their ears. Christ is able and their Savior loves, their Savior lives. Their Savior's always there for them and they may be, may be the only one in the class who stands true to Christ. Friends of ours sent their, uh, their daughter off to university, introductory philosophy class. The stated purpose of the class on day one was to erode or destroy any resemblance of faith. At least we know where the lines are, don't we? At least we know where the battleground is. That was the stated purpose by the professor day one of intro philosophy. My goal is to destroy, he said, any semblance of faith in your lives. We need to pray. Let's pray as we look at God's word and let's pray once again for those heading back to school. Father, thank you for the power of your word. We have sung already today of Jesus Christ, of whom your word speaks. We thank you that we can say, many of us here, he is my savior. He is my Lord. My savior loves, he has loved me, he does love me. And he's always there for me. Thank you for the power of the gospel to change lives. And we pray once again for 
uh, kids and teens and young adults as they return back to a war zone. We pray that you would equip and empower them with the gospel, that you would protect them, lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from evil, we pray. And Father, we pray as well for our brothers and sisters in countries around the world that are filled with such turmoil. We pray for your children in Syria, and we, Lord, we commit this entire situation into your hands. We pray that you would help us to trust you, help us to make the most of the opportunity you have provided for us here in Canada. Lord, as we sit at ease, as we sit with a sense of security, may that security not lull us into a sleepy state before you. So call us once again. Turn our hearts, we pray, to your word. And by your spirit, convict us. Draw our attention to our own sin and draw our attention, we plead with you, to our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Psalm 5. Psalm 5. Are you mobilizing or missing God's help? David writes, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sign listen to my cry for help my king and my god for to you i pray morning by morning O lord you hear my voice morning by morning i lay my requests before you and wait in expectation you are not a god who takes pleasure in evil with you the wicked cannot dwell the arrogant cannot stand in your presence You hate all those who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. And God's people said, Amen. How true that is. How true this is as David pours out his heart to God. Again, he is in a desperate situation. He seems to have a lot of them. Anybody join company with David this morning? He just goes from one problem, one situation, one difficulty to another, but despite the challenges, despite the pressure, whether it's personal, whether it's community, whether it's national as a leader, he knows where to turn. He knows where to go for help. He is not mystified. He is not surprised about having difficulty. The New Testament says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Don't believe the false teachers who tell you that if you come to Jesus... All of your difficulties will disappear. That's false teaching. That doesn't line up with this book. It may line up with the book they're trying to sell you or give you if you donate to their ministry. It doesn't line up with this book, which says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. God will see you through your trials. God allows trials. Rejoice, James says, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that God's doing something. God brings on the pressure. He drives you to your knees. He drives you to Christ. And you experience grace like you've never experienced it before. Some of us have resisted that process. Listen, I don't want more trials. I'm not praying more trials for you, and I please don't pray for more trials for me. Right? We don't want that. We don't want more trials. How many want more difficulties? That's one answer I can get a unanimous vote on. How many want more problems? None. How many want more of God's grace? How many of us want more of God's mercy? How does it come? Through trials. It's one of those mystifying conundrums, if I can use that word, good back-to-school word, uh, uh, mystifying conundrums in Scripture. You want more grace? 
You want more of God's help? God has a way of getting it to you through difficulty, through pressure, through feeling overwhelmed. The great book of Psalms teaches us and has taught us again because we so slowly learn this, who God is. We forget we have all kinds of delusions and false ideas about God. We've picked them up along the way. We've taught ourselves. Other people have taught us. We've read some false literature along the way, books and ideas and strange and weird and wonderful things that people have thought they have discovered about God. Listen, let this book be your guide. God has spoken. He has revealed himself to us in his word. We learn how to communicate, how he has communicated with us. He's the great initiator. You want to study communications? Look at the scriptures. God is an incredible communicator. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork 24-7 around the world. This message that God is a creator is going out. But he's also communicated to us through his word. Your word is a lamp The lights are warm up here. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The next step I take, I may take in God's light if I'm in his word. If you have a closed Bible, you're not going to get any more light for the path. That's just not the way it works. And then, of course, the Psalms engage us over and over with incredible variety in terms of how we may communicate with him. Do we really know how to pray? You know, we all start out as kids probably with parents or we've picked up some prayer or we've seen somebody pray. Anybody seen the Anna Green Gables story? And, you know, when she arrives at uh, Marilla's home and as she just jumps into bed, she's the orphan girl who's, who comes into the house with Marilla and, and Matthew and she jumps into bed and Marilla says, you're, you're supposed to pray. Well, that hadn't even crossed Anne's mind. She hadn't even thought of praying, and so she gets out, and she goes, what is she going to pray? How does she pray? And so she remembers there, there were some prayers offered by some of the ministers down at the orphanage, and she tries to imitate them. You need to see that scene. It's absolutely incredible as she sort of just imitates this, this borrowed prayer. It's not her prayer. It's not from her heart, but hopefully it'll satisfy the pressure of her new landlady, namely Marilla Cuthbert. You can read the, watch the movie yourself. Psalm 5, for the director of music, it is indicated for flutes, for flutes, at least in the NIV. It is a psalm of David. And in these opening words, again and again, David has now established a pattern in these early psalms in terms of pouring out his heart to God. He, he just jumps into prayer. There's no time for formalities. There's no time to to grab a book or to to ask anybody for help. The situation demands God's help right here, right now. So he prays. You see, life's like that, isn't it? Your circumstances can change. One phone call can change your life. One message that gets texted to you or emailed or phoned or whatever can radically shake your world do you know what to do when that happens give ear give ear to my words here is David's cry he is pleading for God's help some of us have not reached that point we're still fine by ourselves my cry for God's help David is earnest he is serious about this Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider, notice, my sighing. Some of our prayers are expressed. Many of them are unexpressed. You may be crying out to God, yet speaking no words. On other occasions, you may be pouring out all kinds of words, yet not really praying. Do you remember Hannah, the story of Hannah, the mother of Samuel? Showed up at the place of worship. Her heart was broken. Her heart was heavy. She was perplexed. She was overwhelmed. She was being crushed by her circumstance. And she stands there in the tabernacle, and she, her lips are moving, 
and no sound is coming out. And the top religious official, the big wig, as it were, the religious high priest, Eli, looks at her and says, stop drinking and coming to worship. Great counsel and comfort that was, wasn't it? And she said, sir, I'm not under the influence of alcohol. This is sorrow of heart. That's how clued out you are to the real needs of a broken heart. Wow. Consider, consider my my sign. Have you ever sighed before God? I don't know what to do, Lord. Help me. Help me. Listen to my, my cry for help. My king and my God. He is speaking, sighing. He's crying. He's praying. It's all wrapped up. The words are coming out. The groans are coming out. He's overwhelmed. But he knows where to turn. He knows what to do. God has taught him to pray. Isn't it interesting that the disciples said to Jesus in during his ministry, Lord, teach us to pray. What is that saying? That you can be a disciple of Christ. This is a great series coming up. You can be a disciple of Christ and not know how to pray. Isn't that remarkable? You could require more teaching. Possible. Just possible. Lord, Teach us to pray. And Jesus did in a variety of ways through parables and, and principles and so on. The issue in these verses is a heart issue. God has his heart. God has the heart of David. He's described in Scripture despite his sin, despite his failure, despite his his outright defiance of, one, of two of the Ten Commandments, the Scripture says he's a man after God's own heart. Why is that true? Because when faced with a sin, when God, as it were, through Nathan, brought a mirror up and said to David, look at yourself. David broke down and said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Blot out my transgressions. Psalm 51. Remember, Psalms are not written in, in chronological order. Read 51 before you read 32. 32, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Are your sins covered this morning? Are they under the blood of Christ? Christ died for our sins. That's good news. That's good news. That's, that's worth sharing. That's worth taking to school and work and to our communities. Well, in this prayer, in this opening prayer, David port, portrays himself as laying before God. Notice the repetition, Hebrew poetry again, verse 3, morning by morning, morning by morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. Can you say that? Is this your prayer this morning? Can you honestly look up at God's face and say, Lord, morning by morning, you hear my voice. Listen, we're tuned into all the voices of other people and other things before we ever hear the voice of God. Not David. First things first. Listen, one of the great traps and temptations of technology, it is, it is diverting our attention away from God. It's distracting us. I, I, I've heard even unbelievers, listen, unbelievers on talk shows, I got a few of them in on the way back and forth from Toronto, saying to people, listen, put away that Blackberry at night. You know, it's nicknamed the Crackberry. Put away that iPhone, unplug it, turn it, you can turn it, there is an off button. And they said to them, stop using it. These are unbelievers counseling unbelievers. It's destroying you, it's distracting you. What would God say to us about our use of technology? How edifying is our use of Facebook and Twitter and the text messages we send back and forth at alarming rates to each other. Morning by morning, he repeats again, I, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Morning by morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. A couple of possibilities in terms of what David is portraying here. One, 
is a preparation of a legal case or a defense. Any lawyers here? They always are reluctant to identify themselves. What does a lawyer do? You hire a lawyer, and the lawyer goes with you into the courtroom and presents the evidence and pleads your case. And at the end, when he does his summary, he finally has his final wrap-up, and he pleads your case before the judge, before the jury, and then you wait. You wait to see if his argument has convinced the judge. Will you be found guilty or not guilty? That's the picture David uses. A legal argument. Our daughter Jane is dating a fellow training to be a lawyer. I guess I better get up to speed on some of these legal terms. Lest he investigate us bring her case to court before our court who knows right the other picture the other illustration that some see embedded in this is the morning sacrifice there was a plan under the old testament to regularly come to god with sacrifices and the day the worship day was structured or laid out according to the order of the sacrifices. There was a morning sacrifice and there was an evening sacrifice. And in the morning, there was preparation. There was the altar. You had to take the wood. You had to take the animal and you laid it out. You arranged it and you waited as the worshiper or as the priest on your behalf offered it to God. You waited to see if it was accepted. What a picture. What a picture. Morning by morning, O oh Lord, you hear my voice. I'm speaking to you. Morning by morning, I lay my request. Here's my request. Here's, here's what's going on in my life. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting in expectation. I'm waiting for God to show up. You see, I haven't figured out my life so well that I can go a day without God. I, I don't try to go 24 hours without him or a week without him. I need him. I need him. And so I bring my request, and I wait for God to answer my cry for help. What confidence does he have? What is his confidence in God's help? Verse 4. He knows something about God. He has learned that God and evil are not synonyms. Our culture has blurred lines. It's a big hit now, isn't it? We're blurring the lines of morality. We're blurring the lines of conduct. Not with God. Not God. David says, you are, you are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, notice this, with you the wicked cannot dwell I had a funeral earlier this week and it's always interesting at funeral times people suggest although this family allowed me simply to preach the scriptures but so many feel that they can live any way they choose and yet they're still going to end up in heaven they haven't read Revelation 21 and 22 too carefully because in those chapters, as John portrays the glory and splendor of heaven, he also indicates that God is a God of judgment. Let me just read you just a few verses uh, from that, those, those chapters. In chapter 21 of Revelation, I saw a new heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, verse 2, the new Jerusalem. I heard a loud voice saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. God will wipe away, verse 4, every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. What a glorious hope 
for those who know Christ. But listen, down to verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Heaven and hell, side by side in the same text. Are we ready to meet our God? Well, back in Psalm 5, his concern in asking for God's help is knowing that God is exploring, God is investigating sin issues. You can't ignore. Now, you may ignore the sin issues in your life, and I'm, I know I'm tempted to ignore them in mine, but you can't when you come to God, or you're not getting through. Think of another text. If I regard sin in my heart, the old word iniquity, the King James says, God will not hear me. If I know there's something in my life that has offended God, that has broken his laws and engaged others in evil conduct, God won't hear that prayer. What are the sin issues that God takes concern, concern with? Pride, verse 5. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. Oh, oh they may try. Do you, do you want something that will take out your relationship with God? It's pride. The big word in pride is the middle letter. I. You know, time to develop the multitude of illustrations in the Old New Testament of pride, proud people and pride issues that were tackled by God. Quite remarkable. Read the story of Nebuchadnezzar if you haven't for a while. You hate all who do wrong. That's kind of general, isn't it? You mean God's concerned about my sinful behavior? Yes. And you must be too if you're going to come to him in prayer. If you want his help, why would you ask God for his help and not submit to his standards? It doesn't make sense. Our Father, when, 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 when Jesus asks or the disciples asked Jesus to pray, teach them to pray. What did Jesus say? Our Father, we used to sing it in school. Do you remember those days? Anybody remember public school with prayer? It could be a while back. What did they pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, what's the request? Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. That's number one. That's what David is foreshadowing here in Psalm 5 and verse 4 and 5. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. You're after liars. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. You can't ignore the sin in your life and get God's help. It's just that simple. It's that black and white in the text. Quite remarkable, isn't it? But notice his commitment to find God's help. He's concerned. He knows he has to face up that sin is an issue that has to be reckoned with. He has to face his sin as he faces his God. That's a principle all the way through Scripture. That's not some Pastor Keith's suggestion. This is true in Scripture. Face your sin as you face your God, and you'll get God's help. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That man, Jesus said, went to his host justified. That man got his prayer answered. Owning up, manning up for his sin and saying, I did it. I'm the sinner. I need the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. So what is his commitment to find God's help? What a picture here. Uh, but I. I like these but words in Scripture because it suggests to me that despite the condition, despite the reality of evil, God has a plan. But I, I I'm going to come to your house because I'm such a great person. Is that what the text says? Get a new Bible. But I, by your great mercy, I'm only getting into God's house because of mercy. So the invitation the invitation for me to come to God is saturated with mercy. Isn't that what you want from God? When you stand before God and give account from your, for your life, what do you plead? 
I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I find mercy at the cross. Do you find it there? We could say amen a little bit louder. It's okay. Do you find mercy at the cross? Absolutely. That's where love and mercy meets. That's where justice, God's justice, is poured out on his son. And we get to go free. Is that fair? It's love. It's God's love. God demonstrated publicly before the whole world his love for us in that while we were still sinners, defying, shaking our fists at God, Christ died for us. So what do we do with that mercy? Take the mercy and say, well, have a nice time. No, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. How can you live any way you want to in the face of such love? You don't understand the love of Christ. He who's been forgiven much, loves much. So you've been forgiven little, little love. Because you don't realize the weight of your sin, the offense of it against God. But I, by your great mercy, what an invitation. And then the reverence in coming. I wonder if we've lost any of that. What is reverence? My commitment to find God's help. The invitation to come, reverence, the attitude in coming. And what do I find when I get there? Read with me again, verse 7. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. That's the posture. That's the posture I maintain. I, listen, I get up off my knees too soon. Do you agree with that? God says, stay down if you want my help. Stay low before me and I will rend the heavens and come down and impact your life and your community. God rejects the proud. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does David find? Invited by mercy, coming in reverence. Oh, there's lots to learn here, isn't there? How long do we, are we, here? we have to go at the end of the service, right? You know, just checking with the time of the pastor, Pastor Steve, my, my colleague and boss for this service. What, what does he find? Righteousness. What would we pray for every student heading back to school, every single one of us at the start of a brand new month? Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Lead me forward. What does it say? Because of my enemies. You don't think you have enemies? You don't understand your life very well. You have lots of enemies. The nation of Syria, in the world-gripping news this week, has been put on notice that the world will not overlook the mistreatment of children and innocent lives. We're not talking about military against military. We're talking about innocent lives. I'm not here to have a, give you a political speech, but I challenge you with the enemies you have in your life. Do you know who they are? Do you know what they are? As you head back to school, as you head out to work, as you face and try to raise a family in a very hostile, anti-God society we're living in, where what is evil is spoken of as what is good, and what is good is spoken of as evil. That's how confused we are in Canada and North America. Do something evil, do something wicked, and you're going to be all over YouTube. Agreed? Do something honoring to God, and it's like, oh, how could they possibly think of that? That's, that's the confusion we're in. We have enemies. David says, listen, Lord, the only way I'm going to get through this is if you lead me. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Show me how to walk. Why? Because I don't know by myself. I'm not capable of coping with life on my own strength. Who do I think I am? Well, some of us still haven't figured that out. Some of us are just deliberately like sheep. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like 
Sheep is not a compliment, by the way. I raised sheep and helped my dad with that for a while. All we like sheep have gone astray. If one sheep finds a way out, they're all out. They're stupid. The Bible says we're like sheep. You can draw the connection. (laughs) Right? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Christ the sin, the going astray of us all. It's it's amazing. That's amazing love. That's amazing love, isn't it? What is his concern over those who reject God's help? You ever been to an ear, nose, and throat specialist? I think those three parts of the body must be connected, right? That's That's why it shows up in the doctor's sign. God has an analysis of the mouths and throats and hearts and tongues of evil people. Do we really think we can hide from God? Then you don't know God. Do you think your conduct is not under the scrutiny of God? You don't know this God. Nothing is hidden in his sight. Everything is naked and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's scripture. God knows. Now, I can hide it. I can mask it. I can try to deceive myself. I'm not deceiving God. What's the condition? Verse verse 9. What's the condition of their mouths? Not a word from their mouth can be trusted great sounds serious it it sounds like I shouldn't go to those people for counsel is that a good connection so if the people who are speaking lies and leading me away from God talk to me what should be my response enough I'm not listening to what you're saying because you're not guiding me towards God a friend encourages you to go forward with God true friend as iron sharpens iron so a friend sharpens the countenance of a friend are we really friends to each other when we draw each other into evil? Not according to the Bible. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. So I'm not trusting what they're saying. Their heart is filled with destruction. Also, now God sees inside. God's concerned about heart issues. This is open heart surgery, God's, God's eyes. And God says it's, it's filled with destruction. It's destroying them. Their throat. Let's take a look. Say off for the doctor, right? We've all had to do that torturous thing. Some of you are dentists, have that joy more often than the rest of us. Their throat, what does it say? Is an open grave. What a, what a horrific picture that is. To a Jewish person, an open grave was a sign of becoming contaminated, becoming unclean before God. And David said, their, their throat is an open grave. With their tongue, they speak deceit. And then he asked God to do something about it. You see, there are enemies in your life and my life that I can't handle, and you can't handle. But God can. And God is quite capable of handling the world. That's why we pray as we think of Syria Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you praying for our leaders? Are you praying for those in authority over us? Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues, they've got this great plan. Do you want to do something really cool, exciting? God said, uh, David prays, let those intrigues, these carefully crafted plans be their downfall. Banish them, banish them for their many sins. Banish them for their many sins. C.H. Spurgeon wrote, Rebels laugh now and will weep later. Refuge takers may weep now, but will laugh later. 
That's the difference between being wicked and being righteous, between being ungodly and godly. David sees it clearly and portrays it for us so clearly in these verses. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins because the issue is they have rebelled against you. The issue with sin in my life is not how offended even my wife is, although at times I offend her. The issue is God's offended. The rebellion in your heart, the rebellion in my heart is God-centered rebellion. And that's the issue. That has to be dealt with. So how are we going to deal with this God-centered rebellion if God has nothing to do with wicked people? Oh, you have to keep reading the Bible, don't you? For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, in Christ, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I, I was grappling with the struggle in this text. In Psalm 5, David says, you hate all who do wrong. With you, back in verse 3, the wicked cannot dwell. How do you reconcile that with the New Testament where it says, Jesus was a friend of sinners? It means that God became man. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. That's Christ. That's what happened at the cross. So how does he finish this psalm? He's been pouring out his heart, I tell you. He's been pouring it out. This is no half-hearted prayer. This is no prayer, well, I don't know what else to say to God this morning. This is, Lord, this is a desperate situation. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And he expects God to do something. And God to show up. And God to turn the situation upside down in his own time and in his own way. So how does he conclude the text? Look at the prayer. Look at the confidence. Notice his communion with others who seek God's help. That's what a church is. Getting together with others to encourage each other to seek God's help. And to say to each other, stop trying to handle this yourself. Come to CR with me. Come to prayer meeting with me. Join a small group. Get involved in Discipleship 128. Let's seek Christ together. Enough of this independence. The danger is not forgotten, but, but David sees a whole bunch of people, including himself, taking refuge in God, finding hope in God. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection. Don't you want to be under God's protection? Whether I'm in Syria or whether I'm in Oshawa, I need God's protection. It may be different but it's still the same God. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Here's the, here's the reverse question for you. If you're not rejoicing in God, why not? It's probably because you don't love his name. The times when I am not finding joy in God becomes a symptom that there's a love issue that's wrong. I'm loving the wrong things. Because when I love his name, I find joy in him. For surely, O oh Lord, you bless the righteous. Amen? Now, the blessing comes in a variety of ways. It comes unexpectedly. It may come after a great trial. It may come during great trial. But it comes. Why? Because the Lord blesses the righteous. You surround them with favor as with a shield. David is no longer praying on his own, hemmed in by his enemies, perplexed, overwhelmed with the situation. He's aware that there's a whole company of people who are seeking God, and he wants to be in that number when the saints go marching in. 
Well, no, it's, it's, it's in this time right now. There's a group of people. I'm not in this alone. We can pursue God together. So I ask you as we draw this to a close, are you a rebel or a refuge taker? Oh, you may have all the outward appearance of being a refuge taker, all that you do all the right things and you're compliant, but at your heart of hearts, really, truthfully, you're rebelling against God. My challenge to you today as we conclude is come home to Christ. Put up the white flag and say, enough of the rebellion, enough of my self-will, enough of me, more of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know every heart. Nothing is hidden in your sight. Everything is exposed. It is naked. It is laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Oh, Father, in the quietness of these closing moments, speak into our hearts. Speak your truth. Break into the rebellion of our own hearts. Help us, to, we pray, to find fresh refuge, comfort, joy in Christ. May this be a time of reconciliation. May this be a time of healing. May this be a time of renewal. Father, we look at the cross and we see grace. We see love. We see Christ paying our debt. And we ask that you would speak into our hearts, remind us of who you are and who we are before you. Break in, we pray now, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I was watching with some interest the post-analysis after President Obama's speech yesterday. And I'm wondering if, with a connection with this service this morning, if we would be seeking God differently were we in Syria. One of the concerns that one of the analysts made was this. With two weeks warning, because it seemed that that was what was indicated, the government there might change things and adjust enough to take the pressure off, but really nothing would change. That's the reality of every service as we hear God's word preached, that we make some minor adjustment to take the pressure off, but nothing really changes. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. I'm headed this way, and in response to the prompting of the Spirit of God, I change. Many of you are involved in moving, moving family, moving students around as this new semester starts. I adapted a quote from, again, the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, brought it, I trust, into 2013 language. Christ will not live in the living room of your life if you are entertaining the devil in the basement. I wonder how many of us here today are actually entertaining. We claim to be a follower of Christ. We may have been baptized, declaration, but truth be told, we're actually entertaining the devil in the basement of our lives. I want to give you an opportunity. The pastors are here. We'll stay at the front. And I pray that God would use this exhortation this morning to drive us from being away from being rebels into a company of refuge seekers and takers with Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy. But I in your great mercy will come. I pray that you would help many of us, all of us, Lord, to find our way to the foot of the cross again today. We need you. We thank you that the debt of our sin has been settled. Thank you for the assurance, the promise, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, as a body of people who claim to be Christ followers, we pray that we would be quick to take refuge in Christ, that we would drop every evidence of rebellion, and we would hold high 
our declaration that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Please protect your word as it has been implanted today by your spirit. May the enemy not come and snatch it away from the path of our lives. But may we be found seeking you. Protect us. Again, we pray for our students as they head off into a new chapter of their lives. Lead them, O God, in paths of righteousness for your sake. And protect all of us because we ask it in and through the name of Jesus Christ, the only one who has saved, the only one who can save, our Savior. Amen.